0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. This morning we'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. For those of you who have been here the last few weeks, you know that we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and chapter 1, Paul, before he even tells them why he's writing... Before he even gets around to thanking God for them, he just explodes in praise. And this vast waterfall of praise, I called it, going, looking back from eternity past to eternity future, God's plan, everything he did for us in Christ, choosing us, predestining us to adoption, his, his uh, desire to redeem us through Christ's blood and grant us an inheritance, And to manifest his plan for the ages in Christ. It's a grand perspective. There couldn't be a grander view of the world uh, than what we see in chapter 1. But in chapter 2, Paul brings it home on our level to us as individuals. We see not the whole scope of of God's plan for the universe, but your story, if you're a Christian. As an individual Christian, what you were before you knew God. What God did to save you. How he saved us. And his purpose in saving us. Along with this passage, we have one of the clearest descriptions in the whole Bible of what happens to us when we are saved. And there is something about it that's quite Quite shocking. But sometimes when people are rescued from danger, they might not fully be aware of how near destruction they were, how great the danger was. So it is with Christians. This passage will reveal the truth about you, about your past, and it is grim. It's worse than we'd ever like to admit or ever could have imagined on our own. At the same time, it's also shocking to learn from Scripture how wonderful our new position is to which God has saved us. It's more wonderful and glorious than we ever dared hope. So this passage will take us from hopelessness to glory. And it is only when we understand the depth of the first that we begin to understand the height of the second and how great a Savior we really have when we have Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, do you want to love the Lord Jesus more? Then listen to these words and consider again what a great Savior God has given us. This is God's word. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you would open our minds, help us to see the condition out of which you brought us, how low you stooped to raise us up from the ash heap, to seat us with your son. In his name we pray, amen. Now Paul began this letter praising God for all the blessings he's graciously lavished upon us. Election, adoption, redemption, making us holy, sealing us, enlightening us. And again and again, Paul reminds us that these blessings come to us specifically in Christ. And Paul is overwhelmed by this, by God's grace, God's love, by the abundance of God's blessings which he has poured out on us, lavished upon us. And by what a great Savior we have in Christ, brothers and sisters, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But it is so often the case with us that although we have everything we need in Christ, we don't often realize what we need or what we have when we have Him. So Paul then goes to pray that we would know Him more. In chapter 1, verses 15 through 23 that we would grow in our knowledge of him, of his calling, his inheritance, and especially the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. And what was that that great expression, the great demonstration of God's power for us? It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God not only raised him from the dead, but seated him at his right hand far above all rule and power and power and authority and dominion forever and ever. He raised Jesus from the depths to the heights and and raised him above everything, put all things under his feet. That is power. That is the immeasurable power of, of God towards us who believe to save you, took immeasurable power. It was not a, a minor thing, a minor rescue. It was the rescue of all rescues. The gospel was the power of God to salvation. If God can place everything under Jesus' feet, it means he must be more powerful than everything. And you might nod your head in agreement and say, yes, that is power. God raised Jesus. But what does that have to do with me? How is that God's demonstration toward me when he raised Christ? That's what our passage is about. You see, when God raised Jesus from the dead, it was raising the whole, he was raising the whole church with him. Jesus, as a public person, was being raised and we as his body were raised with him. So this the surpassing greatness of of his power is verse chapter one, verse 19, toward us who believe. So God raising Jesus from the dead wasn't him showing off his power in front of us. It was God's power working for us. Because we are united to Christ. His power has been exercised for us in Christ. This is, this union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. And you're probably going to hear it from me all the time because it shows up all the time. Election is wonderful. Redemption is wonderful. Adoption is wonderful. But all these are like, these Immeasurably great jewels. The crown that holds them all together is union with Christ. It is in Christ that we receive all these things and nowhere else. And so God directs all our attention to Him as He directed everyone to Jerusalem in the Old Testament. This was the place of salvation. He directs us to Christ. In Christ, we have all these blessings. So what does Christ's resurrection have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. Chapter 1, verse 20, it says, He raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Our passage flows from that. It says in verse 6 of our passage, When we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He raised us with Christ. So what he did for Christ, he did with us in mind as well. He brought us to life with him. Paul actually creates a new Greek word when he says this, made alive together with Christ. It's one big word uh, to express this because it's never happened before anywhere else. You can't imagine being made alive with. This is a new thing, a new creation. So our passage it's the description of what the resurrection of Jesus means for those who believe. It's the description of the salvation that God has won for us. And it is great news. It's the best news. But the, the best news that we have here starts off with really, really bad news. <clears throat> for the good news of salvation, um, the good news of salvation implies that you needed to be saved. These verses tell us what we were. And if you are still an unbeliever, these verses tell you God's evaluation of you right now. You might not agree with God's judgment, but then again, you're not the judge. The first thing that God says of all of us, as long as we are apart from Christ, is that we were dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. It would be an amazing thing to have Lazarus with us. To have uh, the, the widow's son that was raised. To have uh, Eutychus all together in a room sharing, talking about resurrection. That's what this room is like though. All of you who are alive in Christ, you were dead. This is a room full of people who were raised. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Not sick, but helpless, powerless, hopeless. Dead to anything good about God. Dead in our relationship to him. Dead in sin. Imagine that, a dead person totally unable to hear the things of God, totally unable to enjoy God, totally unable to live in a way that pleases God. That is what we were. But if you hear this, obviously you're not physically dead. You're still breathing, your heart is still beating, but apart from God, man is spiritually dead. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you the true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So death is not your heart heart stopping beating. Death is being separate from God. You continue to exist when your heart stops beating. But there's no true life if you don't know God. He is our life. So apart from God, man is spiritually dead. This is a different view of man than the world gives us. We imagine in the gospel of Disney, not to pick on Disney, but if you just reach inside your heart, just follow your heart, and things are going to work out. There's a hero waiting to be discovered if you just look inside yourself. And that we're improving. The world is going to continue getting better and better and then we're surprised when the world seems to decline. But if you look at these verses that describe what the world is really like, why are you surprised? The world has no hope of getting better, apart from Christ. It doesn't matter what problem you pick, the environment, war, disease, racism, There is no answer that will come to a world of dead, spiritually dead people. Except in Christ. Jesus is the answer to all our problems. That resurrection life, him living in us. It also shows us that we had no no ability to raise ourselves from the dead. Sometimes we speak of the free, of freedom of will, and you have it. Yes, everybody has it, but that will is bound by your nature. So you have the freedom to try to fly like a bird, but you can't, you can't do it because you don't have wings. It's not part of your nature to be able to do that. So you have the freedom to try to please God, but you would never be able to do it without God changing your nature. So we see, we are born dead men and we live as dead men every day of our lives until we come to know Christ. The cause of death is that sin, the trespasses and sins in which we, we lived. And sin reigned in every area of our lives. Now this type of death doesn't mean that we were inactive, for we were the walking dead. It says we walked in trespasses and sins. And when Paul says that we walk in it, it means it was our lifestyle, the entire direction of our lives. Verse 3 says this was our nature. We were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. That's the way we naturally were. We were called children of wrath, sons of disobedience. That's what characterizes us disobedience it's what we are the very core you cannot make a change of habit you need a new heart a new heart to be created for us we are totally depraved not meaning that we are as bad as we could possibly be thanks to God's restraining work but bad in every place all the way down all the way to the core But it gets worse. There is no one who could help you. For it says that the rest of the world was like this too. The deadness in sin is not limited to the worst people, not just the Hitlers, but even the best behaved people, apart from Christ, spiritually dead. Paul calls it the course of this world So you can imagine a road, a wide road, filled with people, packed with people, all heading toward hell, accelerating to hell. And every single person, if left to their own devices, would go straight down that road. If they were completely alone, straight down that road without turning to the left or to the right. But the whole world is walking down that road and it makes matters worse. It makes people feel safe. This is the direction everybody's going. People even teach each other how to sin more. The whole mass of humanity and everyone individually are pursuing the lust of their flesh and of their mind. You see, it's not just the world that's doing it, but we enjoyed it. We were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind following our own flesh. So one obstacle to our salvation is our own flesh. Another obstacle is the world. But you know what else comes there? The world, the flesh, the devil. The third obstacle, the prince of the power of the air. The devil stands over that mass of humanity, ruling over the spirit that is at work in each of them. Walking down that road, all having them all under his control, the devil holds them captive. And it is not a passive life, a pa- It is working, working in them, to drive them even more quickly to destruction. So we were not only dead, we were enslaved to the devil too. But it gets worse. For we were not only dead and enslaved, but condemned. Verse 3 says that we were children of wrath. That is, apart from Christ, we were condemned by God and under God's wrath. And God is angry with the wicked every day. And dear friends, it is a scary thing to be enslaved by the devil. But it is far worse to be under God's wrath. For then, who is left to help you? We love to quote that verse. If God is with us, who shall be against us? But if God is against you, it doesn't matter who is for you. There is no hope. That is our condition apart from God's saving work. What a pitiful condition. Dead in sin, enslaved by the devil, condemned by God. Brothers and sisters, remember this is what you were. You see, we didn't need just a little help, a little medicine, a little more accountability. No, we needed nothing less than a miraculous divine rescue. We needed a great Savior. And brothers and sisters, praise be to God. You have him. We serve a God who can raise the dead. And those of you who are still lost in your sins, you can have him too. He offers himself to you, each one of you. Salvation is offered to you in Christ if you repent and rest in him for salvation. And you will find him to be the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that are not yet. For see, we were like that. We too were wallowing in sin, enslaved to the devil, rebelling against God. And yet, it says, here's the turning point, God loved us but God. That's what our passage says. We were by nature children of wrath, but God loved us. Why? Brothers and sisters, the answer to that question cannot be found in yourself, of course. Not in your dead, rebelling, enslaved, condemned self. The answer is in God simply because of his mercy and love. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love. Our salvation, you see, is all God's work. It's all by grace. We were by nature children of wrath, but God loved us. We were dead in sin, But God made us alive together with Christ. We were in a position of dishonor and shame. But God seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. We were enslaved by the devil and on our way to hell. But God raised us with Christ. Brothers and sisters, isn't that incredible? That is the most amazing story ever told. And behind it all, the thing that makes this change is God's own character. It's who he is. The love of God is great love. The mercy of God is rich mercy. Because of his great love, being rich in mercy, his mercy Is inexhaustibly rich. His love is inexpressibly great. And pardoning us from our sins alone would be amazing enough. But that's not all that God did for you. He didn't just pardon your crimes and send you away, He didn't pardon your crimes and put you back in the garden like Adam to try again to see if you can do better. He made something better. He united us to Christ, raised us with Christ. He seats us with Christ. He lavishes blessings on us. And why does he do all these things? For our good. He loves us simply because he loves us. He picked you out of that mass of walking dead, chose you, not because you were any better, of course. but because of his great love. And he brought you to his son. Brought you to himself as his child. That's grace. Do you see any room for boasting here? You see how offensive it would be after all that to boast. To say somehow we're better. Somehow it was because of us Something that we did, we contributed to it. What could you contribute? Nothing. For by grace you have been saved. Paul breaks up his sentence right in the middle. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us with him. The ultimate reason, though, for saving us is not just our good, but his glory. Verse 7, he saved us so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And when God raised Jesus from the dead and the entire church with him, it was a display of the immeasurable greatness of his power. That's what it says, chapter 1 but here in verse chapter 2 verse 7 it's the immeasurable riches of his grace in saving us Christ's resurrection shows God's power our resurrection shows God's grace and that's what it took to save you the infinite power of God the immeasurable grace of God what power What grace was at work to bring you back to life, to bring you to God? And now that we've been reminded of our past sinful condition, our present salvation in Christ, and future ages to come will show God's kindness toward us in Christ. Brothers and sisters, how, how should we respond to such a great salvation? to such a great Savior. For one, we are not to boast in ourselves or put any confidence in our own works. Paul sums this up in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, that no one should boast. God takes glory in the fact that you are a trophy of his grace. He wants the world to see that when he saved you, it was all him doing it. It was all his work. That you would be a display to the world around you of his mercy. Paul delighted in this. He said that this is a statement worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world To save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, that he might display in me his perfect patience. Paul boasted in his weakness, not because weakness is anything to boast about. He boasted in it because it displayed God's perfect patience, God's perfect mercy. Far be it from us if we say, that we brought ourselves to the faith. We convinced ourselves that we decided to make a change in our life. It was God who rescued us. All our testimonies should point to that. Paul sums all this up For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not as a result of works that no one should boast. I don't think it could be written more clearly than that. Our salvation is God's work. Negatively, it's not a result of works. Positively, it is a gift of God. In a word, it is by grace. Our whole salvation, including our faith, was a gift that Christ purchased on the cross and then gave you. Faith comes graciously from God and it simply receives God's salvation. Faith is not a work. Here, it's like an empty hand of a beggar reaching out, taking hold of what God has given. It's like an open mouth receiving the Lord Jesus. You see verse 10 tells us we are God's workmanship. So here is pictured Uh, Pictured our salvation as a resurrection from the dead. It has pictured our salvation as a rescue from condemnation. Here, it is new creation. We We are his workmanship. God is like a master craftsman or like an artist. You are his work. His kindness has been shown to us because he loves us, but also to display his skill. This work, this new creation in conformity with, in Christ we talked about later in Ephesians that we were created in Christ in true righteousness and holiness. When God made Adam, it was a wonderful thing. He said, it's very good. When he remakes us, it's even better. Even better. He makes us not in conformity the adam his original state but now the last adam the second man the heavenly man that gives us a new identity doesn't it we see first of all that this was an act of creation and you didn't do anything to create yourself no more than you did something to resurrect yourself it's all god's work but also, it shows this great hope. Nothing to boast in this creation, but great hope for the future. God has an amazing plan for his church. It's this mystery that Paul will talk about in chapter 3. He's making us into something amazing. And the whole world, the whole universe, is like that scaffolding that will fall away and reveal what he was doing in the church what he was building the whole time. And all of this is to display the glory of the artist, the the glory of the craftsman who has made us. Now we reflect God by what we are, but we also reflect God by what we do. God had a plan for us when he chose to save us. He saved us for a great purpose. Just like When God made Adam, the world was without sin. He gave Adam a task to fill the earth, to subdue it. Adam was to be God's image. His actions would also reflect God's image. He was God's workmanship. But this verse tells us that we are God's workmanship too, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's an important point. We are not saved by works. That's very clear For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. But we are created for good works. We are saved to glorify God with our works. Just like our Lord Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. These good works, don't ever think that they earn that salvation. We are so tempted to always go back to think this. They are a result of it. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. God wants us to to live correctly. He wants us to live in a way that we most enjoy. And that way is his good works that he has made for us to walk in. Like Paul says the same thing here when he says that we should walk in good works. What a reversal this is. At the beginning of our passage, we were walking to but we walked in trespasses and sins. At the end of it, we're walking in good works. At the beginning, we were dead. At the end of it, we are a new creation. God has given us a much better path for us to walk in. We are to walk in love. We are to walk in God's law. We are to walk humbly with our God. Brothers and sisters, Remember what you were, hopeless, helpless, enslaved, condemned. Remember your chains, but remember that you are now free. So do not go back living into the the way of the world. Do not feel bad if you live in a different way. Rejoice in that. Long that others would would follow as well. Remember the great love with which God loved us. Remember how, when all hope was gone, a Savior was born. Remember how he lived. Remember how he loved. Remember how he suffered for you. We're called to remember it here when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Remember how he died to set you free. Remember that he was raised and exalted above every name. Remember that you were raised with him. You have a new identity. You are a new creation. And with that comes a new lifestyle. Remember, brothers and sisters, that all your enemies are under his feet and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet too. Brothers and sisters, do you love him? Is he not worthy of all our love and praise? Let us give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Let us pray. Lord, Do not know how to thank you for what you've done for us. We consider what we were, how high you raised us, how great you must be, how great your love must be. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for rescuing us. We ask that you would help us to walk in light. Help us to be conformed to the image of our Savior, that we might praise you and shut our mouths. That we never boast except in you. Lord, help us, our lives, to be a display of the immeasurable greatness of your grace toward us in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.